0: travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show i'm your host mj smith and much like last week i'm saying host because cory Tyndall is not joining us for this episode he took a couple episodes off uh i hope he's having fun doing what he's doing uh, although he did see fury and he liked it and saw said to uh give it a watch i haven't seen it yet um but i'm joined by jonathan cornell hello hello welcome back
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: and uh, we're getting ready to talk about The Hateful Eight, and man, is there a lot to talk about, because yeah. this movie is an undertaking. <laughs> um, but Very before true. we get into that,
1: uh, what have you been watching? Um, just kind of stuff here from here and there, but I also saw Joy. Okay, um, how was that? It was good, not nice. too bad. Yeah, so one of one of the best movies um, that I can think of, about. Again, not watching the trailer, and even the trailer didn't reveal what it was, but, uh, you know, you kind of talked about it, spoiler alerts, but, um, just her selling mops and
0: like, cause it's, it's, it's a real story, right? Right. Yeah. Loosely so based and one of yeah, those yeah, weird yeah. things. I didn't know that. Um, and then the reviews started coming out and I was like, wait, this movie's like about mops and this woman who invented the, what? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I even, even reading reviews, I kind of still don't know what to expect out of
1: that movie. Um, um, but you liked it? Yeah, it was good. Not too bad. It was, it was, uh, just a great movie where it was one of those, like, things, like, do you, do you, did you like, um, what's that movie called now? I'm blanking on it. I can't, I can't think of it, but it's just like a movie where, like, everything's bad. It's coming down. okay. Um, and just, like, kind of, like, down on her luck. And then you just like you think it's going to be the worst it can be, and then it gets worse mm-hmm. and worse, and then eventually like she picks herself back up. Oh, okay. And so you're kind of like, okay, cool. Um, the the Stephen King movie where he's in prison, Shark Tank Redemption. Thank you. Okay. Kind of like where you're kind of watching it is like, well, oh, how worse can it get? Oh, now it's getting better. Oh no, it's getting a lot worse. And then at the end, you're just like, wow, he pulled through. Yeah. <laughs> I felt the same way with Joy. Okay. And so. Just, did
0: you like Jennifer Lawrence in it um, I'm, I'm kind of like lukewarm on I, her
1: I don't I don't like her in the Hunger Games
0: I don't like I, her in most things
1: uh, yeah I would definitely agree with that um, I don't like her her cry face everyone talks about that oh. It's very annoying and like I just feel like people are, are saying that she's so great but yeah eh, she was good in the movie she uh, was yeah okay and so also I believe that movies are supposed to take you out of reality for mm-hmm. a while. And kind of put you into a different perspective and whatnot. Yeah. Um, especially if they're fiction or story-based. And this movie does. You, you're okay. not really paying attention. You're thinking that you're in that world. That's With good. her. So, that's, that's good. good. Same yes. way with Hateful Eight, too. Yeah. Have, what have you been watching?
0: Um, I actually revisited one of my favorites from this last year um, with my parents. Uh, because we don't have a washer and dryer. We usually take our laundry over there and watch a movie with them. And we watched The Man from U.N.C.L.E.
1: Uh-huh. I don't know if you saw that or no, not. No, I haven't. Is oh, it good? I
0: love that movie. It's in okay. my top ten of the year, okay. for sure. Like, number five or four or something. Oh, wow. I really, really like That's that That's pretty movie. high. Um, it's the best spy movie that came out this year. Okay. Um, 2015 was... Oh, er, uh, come year. on.
1: Kingsman was great. Kingsman was great.
0: Kingsman is the second best one. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the, so to kind of rank the spy movies that came out last year, for me, it was Man From Uncle, Kingsman... Uh, Spectre Spectre and then Mission Impossible. Um, Mission Impossible had some third act problems that I didn't care for. Spectre is more problematic, arguably, overall, but it's at least consistent in its problems. Um, So that's what puts that above that. But I loved The Man From U.N.C.L.E. I remember sitting in the theater and the credits rolling and just looking at my friends that I saw with and going... The sequel to this movie could start right now, and I would sit through it. Like, I just want, I want a sequel to it. It's awesome. Um, Henry Cavill is a guy that I kind of have written off. I didn't really like his portrayal of Superman. Yeah. At all, really. Yeah. And so I was just kind of like, well, all right, you're whatever. You're not the best actor. He's so good in Man From U.N.C.L.E. He plays a great um, Cold War era spy. Yeah. And I like that. And then um How's a Russian guy? Army Hammer yeah. is fantastic. I one of my quote superpowers I like to think is I have a really good ear for um accents in movies if someone's playing something they're not and Army Hammer is American and his Russian accent is perfect. Like I I usually can hear an accent drop really easily and he does not drop that accent at all Same with Henry Cavill and his American accent. He's a British actor and he does not drop his accent at all Alicia Vikander who's the the kind of the third girl to round out or the third person to round out the team the the woman on the team she's Canadian I think and she plays a German, and she's not that great, but she also doesn't really try an accent, so it's not that bad. So it's not like she's trying an accent and failing all the time. Right. So, yeah. And then Hugh Grant is so good in this movie. He's only in like ah. three scenes, but he's so funny and perfect in this movie. I don't like Hugh Grant that much. It's but... been a
1: long time since I've seen anything. Good exactly. With him in it.
0: Yeah. Um. He was in the movie Cloud Atlas a few years ago. Yeah. It was. Uh... I really like that movie. Okay uh people have some problems with it and yeah. i totally understand but i really like that movie and i like him in that movie a lot and then i liked him in this so who directed i think, that which one
1: the cloud atlas
0: the wachowskis the people who did ah, the matrix yeah
1: that's why yep and so uh was so were they did they good, do a good job with directing with that movie
0: with cloud atlas yeah i thought so okay. um it was certainly better than their matrix sequels yeah. <laughs> um yeah. But I I actually like the Wachowskis a lot. I don't right. know if
1: you saw Speed Racer. Uh, no, I didn't. I, I think that movie
0: is super underrated. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, Which,
1: I'm depressed because I actually liked the the TV show. I, I love the was, movie, and that was that was classic, um, you know, 80s anime kind of thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think they nailed it. Um, yeah. They actually ended up developing a new technology for that movie that I don't think I've seen employed since. But they directed a camera that had three lenses on it, so that. Uh, Everything it, that they were shooting would be in focus all at the same time, ah. so that it would look like a cartoon. So the movie looks really weird because you're used to watching a movie that's filmed on a camera with one lens, and so like the background's out of focus. But in this movie, everything's in focus all the time, so it looks it looks like the cartoon. Like that's they, cool. yeah, I I I think that movie's really really under underappreciated. But um, yeah, Man from Uncle is. It's just so good. I don't know. There's a really, really clever um, car chase at the beginning of the movie that kind of sets the tone for everything, and
1: got ruined in the trailer.
0: Not really. <laughs> oh,
1: not that one. Oh, no, okay, it, is, it, it, is, it is in the trailer. Okay, um,
0: but it's not. They don't reveal like the coolest stuff about it. Okay, thank. You. I think, and just the music is really, really great in it, and uh, which is something we'll probably talk about later as well, and. It's just got a cool vibe about it. It's really slick and stylish and fits the era and kind of reminds you of the early James Bond movies. You know, you could replace Henry Cavill with Sean Connery and make it a James Bond adventure from that era, and it would be
1: perfect. That's I cool. Think. Yeah. All right. Yep. I'm glad that you cleaned your clothes as well, so that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of all I saw outside of Hateful Eight this week.
1: Right. Um, how was your New Year's? Pretty good. Good. Pretty good. Uh, how about yours? Not. can't complain.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk at length, ad nauseum, probably, about The Hateful Eight. Oh, boy. And we're back. So you tuned in to hear us talk about The Hateful Eight and... If you listened to the last episode, you know we both kind of have a big love of Tarantino. Yeah. And we both were expecting a lot out of this movie.
1: Yeah. Um, Hopefully we don't talk as long as the movie is. Yeah, Jeez. for
0: real. For real. Uh, the big, the big <clears throat> thing is there was this special release of The Hateful Eight. And the special release is called the Roadshow version. And basically what that means is... Back in the the 30s up through the 60s when movie palaces were really still a thing, they would release movies a couple weeks in advance as a road show. And that would mean it would play only in certain really, really big venues. And it would screen on really big screens that they would bring in special for it. People would get dressed up and go out. There would be a musical overture before the film, kind of like a Broadway show. There would be an intermission between the, the two halves of the movie. And you would get a, a little program, or a big program, I guess, uh, based on, on what what I received at uh, my showing. And you would get a program uh, that kind of had credits and behind-the-scenes stuff about the movie. And Tarantino brought that back. He filmed this movie specially in in a format called Ultra Panavision 70, which is a form of 70mm film. Uh, it's technically 65mm that's upconverted to 70mm, if you want to get nerdy about it. Only six other movies have been filmed in this ultra panavision 70 and as a result Tarantino decided to bring back the roadshow so this is the the it was it was screened in 98 venues on 70 millimeter film and it's the biggest 70 millimeter release in 20 years and the first roadshow in 53 or 52 years wow
1: yeah.
0: yeah so it's kind of a big deal and i, I actually read an article about it that the projectionists, because the format is so old, they had to, like, f- like scour the uh, country for all these projectionists who know how to work these projectors. Wow. And these guys found out the day before where they were going to be. Like, they got contacted on December 23rd and said, you need to be in L.A. from Boston tomorrow. Yikes. And yeah. you have a day to set up your equipment. And so these guys are having all kind of um, problems running their equipment because... All these machines have been Frankenstein together. They're using a, uh, a, a platter system, so the the film rests on a basically a plate, and it spins around, and that's what, how it feeds the film through the projector. The problem is they couldn't find enough seventy millimeter plates, so they had to use a bunch of thirty five millimeter plates. Well, thirty five millimeter plates are built to hold thirty five millimeter film, right, not so. seventy millimeter film, so they're falling off constantly. Oh, man. So these guys are having all kinds of problems, and. They're oftentimes the only projectionists who know how to work those projectors in their theaters, so they have to be at every single showing. So they're working if there's four showings in at a theater, they're working sixteen-hour days. Yikes! If there are five, they're working twenty-hour days, Talk about and they have to overtime. be yeah, Jeez. they have to be back. Uh, they're leaving at like two thirty, three thirty in the morning, and have to be back at ten to screen. Again, it's going until the end of uh, this week. So when this comes out, it'll be tomorrow, and uh, then they go home, and that yeah. was it. They did their time on the seventy millimeter roadshow.
1: Must just say, but it's great press. Uh, what I've been reading and what I've been hearing is that um, just this movie in general. Every every time they talk about the movie, they're always talking about how great this is, how about bringing back film, you know, the the beginning, the era of of what when this was big and. Uh, it's giving the film at least good press for being what it is. Yeah, even it's I think to so too. And kind of, um, you know, being really, a Tarantino. Yeah, fan. like
0: really talky and yeah. hyper violent. And um, I, I was reading that uh, theaters that are showing both the digital version or the general release version and the roadshow version, they're selling like sixty tickets to the general release version, and they're selling out every single showing of the roadshow. Of course, yeah. So that's cool. I actually had the opportunity to see the roadshow. Uh, which was great, and you saw the. I saw it in, di-
1: in in digital. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: so to kind of kick off our conversation about it, let's kind of talk about some of the differences. Uh, the big one is you didn't have an overture or an intermission. Right. In yours, yes. And uh, I'm really curious because I'm going to tell you where they where they cut. Okay. Uh, for the intermission.
1: Yeah.
0: And I want to know how it went down in your theater, like if it just kind of kept playing, or um, so in our version, in the roadshow version. The movie cuts to intermission right after Samuel L. Jackson tells the story oh. to the general about what he did to his son and kills the general. And so Samuel L. Jackson kills the general, flips his gun around, puts it in his holster, and then cut to intermission for 12
1: minutes. Now for 12 minutes, now, now does it start back up with like chapter, I think chapter 4? Yes. Yes. So it um, he kills the general, shoots him dead, put, uh, flips it back in, and then I think... I don't know if he says anything snarky, but it yeah. just goes straight black. Okay, chapter four, and then what's really weird? Um, um, what's what? Um, the the lady has a secret. That's what. Chapter oh four yeah, Darmagu. Has, has a, a secret. Se- yeah, and so when that happens, uh, you have I believe it's Quentin Tarantino uh, being the narrator. Yes, it is, uh, and he and he just kind of narrates, and he talks about how Samuel L. Jackson's uh, sitting down, drinking branny, and then Garmagoo, during that whole scene, saw someone pouring them in the water hole. Yeah. And so... Okay, uh, so that's what happened in yeah, R.S. 2 yeah. after the intermission. So it was the exact same thing. But I though. thought it was super weird, in general, when that happened, because it's just like, okay, like, this whole movie didn't have a narrator, and then all of a sudden this is happening, and I was like, okay, like, it's almost like an, an old school Batman film. That's Yeah, a, I kind of felt like, like the 60s, cart, um, not cartoon, 60s anime with Adam West. Yeah. Not anime at live action. Yeah. but anyway, we're like you know, last time we saw our heroes, they were doing this, mm-hmm. and I was just like,
0: oh, okay,
1: well, that was
0: weird. Yeah, it, it even with the intermission because the intermission lasts about the amount of time that the narration says has passed, so it feels like it's playing in real time, which is cool. The narration feels really out of place. Yes, yes. A, and I was wondering if if they kept the narration because it felt really out of place after an intermission. I can't imagine what it felt like just watching it go right into yeah. it. That because it's it's kind of like that Simpsons joke in the Simpsons movie where Homer wanders off into the fields of Alaska and like he breaks off onto like this ice float thing and it just says it fades to black and says to be continued immediately and then the movie picks back up. That's kind of how it felt.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. I'll agree. I'll agree. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, that narration was really strange. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if that was a difference. And then I don't know any other specific differences outside of that. Um, I do know some of the the longer, like, big, wide panoramic uh, scenery shots were kind of cut out of the general release version because 70mm film is double the size of 35mm film, so it's just got this huge field of vision that, that you can see. Um, and so on a 70mm screen, it looks great, on a digital or a 35 millimeter it probably is just like why are these huge sweeping shots in this
1: you know it probably looks kind of weird right so i have to say though even that i was mesmerized by the mm-hmm. long shots like the the opening scene the yeah. opening shot um and i if please help me out we like it's filming in the snow but it, it looks back east of course and it's just amazing. And the movie, so the
0: movie takes place in Wyoming. Yeah,
1: that's what I thought. thought. So yeah. it really is. Yeah, and they filmed
0: okay. it in Telluride, Colorado. Oh,
1: okay, so. yeah, There you go. Yeah. So it's kind of close yeah. to, to a similar um, landscape. But when you're watching that, I was mesmerized, even in digital. And I was like, okay, this is going to be good.
0: Yeah. Um, and then in 70. They always talk about, oh, the the depth of the colors is a lot better. The blacks are deeper. The whites are wider. I've seen, I saw Interstellar in 70mm IMAX. Wow. And I kind of, I didn't like that movie that much, so this might have something to do with it. I kind of felt like I could have seen the digital and been fine as well.
1: Now, was this different
0: for you? This was way different. Um, There are certain shots where it's just like a person standing in front and then just white background behind them because yeah. of all the snow, and it is so bright. It's so... It's the brightest image I've ever seen in a wow. movie theater.
1: If I may add, I felt like Interstellar, lots, a lot of CGI, a lot of mm. other things, um, with Hateful Eight, it, it's all... It looks... Har- hardly any CGI, anything like that. That's All true. special effects and whatnot. And so that that shot you were looking at was real. Real. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah that's true. Um, so kind did, of go did ahead. you have anything else at the end
1: um did anything was anything else added or did it just go to the no credits? there was
0: they, uh, they actually made a point to say there's nothing after the credits to this movie oh um, wow yeah which i thought was interesting they actually got on the microphone and they were like okay you're at a road show here's the big differences like because you're a 2015 audiences uh, maybe you're not used to having an yeah, overture yeah. or an intermission but it's all part of it um You know, it's a hard 12 minutes uh, intermission because they actually built the intermission into the film reel. So while the screen is black, it's actually black strips of film running through the film. So they don't have to do any, like, technical, like, fix-it stuff in the back. Um, You know, and there's nothing after the credits. There were no trailers because it's projected on film and it's basically the maximum amount of time you can have on a 70 millimeter reel. So it just kind of, like, got started with an overture and that was it.
1: So, did you have any problems with your, um, with the with the, the feeding, of the film?
0: Not from what I could tell. Um, a lot of those guys have had a had uh, when the when I saw it, a lot of those guys had had a week to get used to their system, know what the quirks were of the projector they were working with, so they could fix them on the fly a lot easier. I heard that when the film first opened, there was a lot of problems, and they had to switch to digital backups of right. the movie. Oh, and but, that's very
1: unfortunate. Yeah,
0: um, but ours stayed on the. Uh, if there were problems, I, they didn't let the audience uh, in on it, um, That's cool. which is good, yeah. So, uh, applause to the projectionists. Um, IndieWire.com has a couple interviews with the projectionists, and these guys are the true unsung heroes of this roadshow production. I definitely. Like I kind of wanted to go up to the staff and be like, can I go talk to the projectionist? I just want to shake his hand and tell him good job. Yeah, definitely. Um, so overall, did you
1: enjoy your experience? I loved it, yeah.
0: I I think that that is the way to see that movie. I I, uh, I want to see this become a thing more and more.
1: Right.
0: Quentin Tarantino's done all the hard work now. He's gotten the technology updated. He's gotten the projectors cobbled. He together. found the people. He found the people. Um. You know, it, it came uh, that it, it came as an announcement that Rogue One. We talked about this last week a little bit. Mm-hmm. Rogue One, the first Star Wars spinoff movie, is going to shoot on the lenses that the Hateful Eight was shot on, and. Uh, Christopher Nolan's next movie is going to be shot not on Ultra Panavision 70 but on 65mm for a conversion to 70mm projection. And I hope he does a roadshow of Dunkirk. I think that would be awesome. I just Mm, I I, I think all these big tentpole movies and all these guys need to just kind of come together these guys who are championing film uh, Tarantino, Scorsese uh, Spielberg Nolan, J.J. Abrams they all need to start embracing this and I think we can see a resurgence in it. When I bought my tickets two days before, there were about nine tickets sold. And I was kind of nervous, and our theater was packed out by the time we got in the theater on Friday mm-hmm. afternoon. So there's a market for this. Mm-hmm. And I think I think, if movie theaters want to get butts back in seats, this is the way to go.
1: Definitely. It'd be very interesting to see. Uh, I, I still think that it has to be the right market. For, for what the movie is, so the movie has to be the right movie for the demographic for the market, right? For, for the mo- mo- movie scene, I believe that because this was new, everyone jumped on it, and also it's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Um, believe it as you will. Either because he's um you know a radical film director, or people actually like his films, like you know like we do. Right. Uh, people just wanted to see how this was and see how how the movie looked and how. If it was as good as they were saying it was, yeah. Which and I assume it lived up to the hype. Yeah, it did for me. Perfect.
0: Um, so let's let's get into the specifics about the movie itself. So uh, I guess we'll start with um, you want to start with actors or dialogue?
1: I just want to say that we totally called it. It's just like Clue in the Wild West.
0: Yeah, Clue it's, meets Toy Story. Yeah, t- Clue meets Toy Story because <laughs> somebody poisoned the water, in the water. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: very true yeah we'll get into that later
0: yeah so yeah it's about these eight people that find themselves at this haberdashery which is kind of a general store slash inn slash place to put your feet up in harsh conditions or if your horses need rest or whatever um they find themselves stranded there because of a blizzard and suspicions start abounding and blood starts flowing in copious amounts (laughs) and uh uh someone poisons coffee the coffee pot that they're all drinking from and it's kind of like a whodunit, and there's like there's some larger themes in there that I think we'll get into later. Right. Um. But starting off, um, it's a very simple story, and as a result, two things need to carry out, the script and the actors. So, what did you think about both of those things? I guess.
1: Uh, I would say that the actors did a phenomenal job. Um, everyone in the film was so great. Yeah. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, perfect. Uh, he's really. I wouldn't say he was. No one's really the main protagonist in this. Yeah. But it, but if if it was, it would probably be Sam. Yeah, United, I so. think so. I think yeah, so yeah. too. Um, but you you can argue that everyone else is everyone's just a character. Yeah, just, they're
0: all the stars of their own story. Yeah, they all exactly. have stories. Uh, before this, and you don't really know what they are, and they you they feel lived
1: in. Yeah, uh, Kurt Russell did a great job. Still Phenomenal. It was really good. Uh, the lady... Uh, what's what's her name? Jennifer? Jennifer Jason Lee yeah, Never seen really seen anything with her mm-hmm. in it. Uh, she did a great, phenomenal job playing a villain. There's a couple scenes in the movie where she uh, is the prisoner. She's a prisoner of, of the film. And she's uh, $10,000 on her head. Yeah. And Kurt Russell is going to take her to get hanged because he's a hangman. And so she's in the, the, the coach with them. And so the movie opens up with Samuel L. Jackson... Um, uh, stranded on the road uh, with four dead bodies that he's bringing in to get paid for because he's a bounty hunter as well. And Kurt Russell and him get into it and they find out that they know each other. And so after, you know, a little bit of hard confusion, they finally get um, each other back into the coach and Samuel L. Jackson's getting a ride from uh, Kurt Russell. And during that time, the Jennifer, she is just not really liking to see Samuel L. Jackson, just because she's, she's a little super bit racist, racist, yeah. But she plays an evil villain, and Kurt Russell hits her around, <laughs> and she just licks the blood off her face and kind of looks like when she's doing it. She's looking into Jackson's eyes and kind of like, "Oh, you like this? Oh yeah, I'm hard." And like, she's look- like winking at him and oh, stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that she was crazy. How How'd you like um the gentleman that's from that plays the British guy? Oh yeah, Tim. Tim, Tim Roth? Roth. He was my favorite character in wow. the movie. I knew I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I it love was, him. It was great. I love him,
0: in, I love him in everything. Now, and did I you
1: like it at, the... at the end where he kind of starts switching accents? Like, he oh yeah, from yeah, the, yeah, the proper British accent it's to a, that super cockney Cock- accents. Yeah, yeah. Co- is it Cockney? Cockney. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, he's he's my favorite character in the movie. I think in the kind of the second half, he doesn't he gets sidelined a little bit, and that made me sad.
1: But I, I love definitely that guy. when you when they flip chapters, it really is like flipping chapters in the, in in like a book. Yeah, because a lot of characters were really big at, at some portions, and then all of a sudden they're not so big in another portion. So um, that was kind of difficult to see because it's not like a regular movie. But um, how'd you feel? Was there anything lacking in acting wise, for you?
0: Um, I think Michael Madsen kind of got the short end of the stick, but I don't know if it was his fault or the script's fault. I can't tell. It seems like his character should have served a bigger purpose.
1: His character was almost worthless. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he is, uh, spoilers, I guess, the one who did poison the coffee, but it just kind of seems really arbitrary that he was.
1: Like... Yeah, and then he dies and with meaningless and whatnot. And then I watched rewatched the trailer, and then there's a scene where the table is actually focused towards the camera, and he actually picks up a gun and holds it underneath the table. Oh, really? And I'm just like... Wait a minute, that wasn't in the movie. And huh. So it's like, okay, well, that would be interesting to see what, what got cut out. Yeah. But yeah, he, he poisoned, like, he during the whole movie, he's not really talking. He's on the side. And then you find out that he poisoned the coffee because he admits to it. But then he just dies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that character felt really um unfleshed out to me, which is weird because everyone else feels super fleshed out. And it was like, well, why did you even have that character in yeah. there? Um, you know who was a character I loved is OB, the, uh, the driver.
1: Yes, OB was great.
0: I really like that character a lot because that guy, uh, it's called the Hateful Eight, but there are actually nine people in the haberdashery. (laughs) Someone has to die. (laughs) Well, and, and I think that it, it serves a thematic purpose in that OB isn't hateful. All these other eight characters he's with have hate. They're full of hate. They're hateful. And Obi's just trying to make some money, man. Yeah. He's just trying to get by and, like, feed his family. And he is a an unfortunate victim of their hate. And I really liked... I liked the thematic purpose that character served. And I just thought he was, like, super likable. Like, when they make him go out to the outhouse and dump all the guns in the outhouse. And he comes back and he's like, I almost died out there,
1: man! And that whole scene where, where when that happened, and then he gets over to the fire put uh, place, and then he puts on the the fur, and, yeah. and he's just sitting there, and they're like, "Obi, you all right?" Yeah, need it, get
0: warm. Yeah, and then the the Bob the Mexican, <laughs> he's just like, "Obi, you want some stew?" And he's like, uh "No, stew later, warm now."
1: And it's exactly what like if you saw someone that's hurt. And you just like, oh, I know I'm not supposed to mess with them, so I'll just leave them alone for a second. Yeah. And so it it did great, because that, that's exactly how any of us would actually act as someone that that's kind of in that position. You're like, oh, you're kind of mad, I just want to... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially if you're,
0: like, in a confined space. Like, I don't know if you ever um, had, like, lock-ins or something where something like that happened, and, like, or, like, you had, like, a long event that you were at, and someone either yeah. got hurt, or, like they were like way too cold so they were super miserable and they were just like super mad at everything for oh, yeah. a few minutes. Yeah, that it, that felt like, yeah.
1: super like real lifetimes. Yeah. So the script in general, um, I felt like the the plot of the story was kind of predictable and yeah. but I guess the main point of the movie and what it was, was that it grew you in with the dialogue and it mm. really made you think and um, we'll, I hope we can get into this later, but um, throughout the whole movie, you, beginning scenes, I felt like the first opening, like with the carriage ride, almost took thirty minutes. It is; it's thirty five minutes long. Yeah, and it's so long, and you are enjoying it. It's, it's so actually weird. enjoyable, and so you're liking, um, reading, uh, learning about the characters. You learn about Samuel L. Jackson and his supposed relationship with Lincoln, mm. Kurt Russell being the hangman and being so violent. And then you learn about um, they all have kind of like um, collective purposes and a place to go to uh, Little Rock. Or was it Red Rock? Red Rock. Red Rock. Yeah. And so, you know, you meet the sheriff. You meet the guy that's trying to hang the prisoner collect the money. So they're all meeting up. And so you build this environment, this story, this whole purpose. And with the snow and the storm, you actually kind of feel like you're in that. I wanted to mention this. I was sitting in the movie... I was wearing a jacket. I felt kind of cold. It was super hot in our theater. They had the heater turned way up. Oh but wow! But
0: I feel like if I would have been sitting in the normal theater, I, I would have felt the same way.
1: Was, my nose was kind of getting cold, <laughs> and I was like, "Man, I don't know. If, is this movie like wearing off on me?" Or That's something? super funny. I've yeah. heard
0: people saying that about this and the Revenant. That it's just sitting in the theater makes them f- like really cold. Yeah, it's it's the
1: subconscious mind like think, thinking about cold things can actually make you feel culvert and Well, and
0: also this, I mean, this movie looks like you could step into the screen and walk around the haberdashery. Like, it looks like you're, it it really, like you said earlier, it's transportive. Yeah. It it really felt like I was there watching this happen. It felt like I was watching a play. Movie feels like a play. The script feels
1: like a play. Um, I would definitely agree with that. Um, There's some awkward moments in the film where you're like, um, Samuel L. Jackson kills somebody and for, for, um, you know, that, he was a, he was a racist general and he shoots him. And then throughout the movie, you're like, okay. And then they move on to a different scene and he's just sitting down, sitting there and everyone's just kind of like doing their own things. Like, whoa, if so I just saw someone get shot. I wouldn't just let some guy sit there. I would go talk to him, yeah. or I'd be running around. You think that it would be like a mean action because we live in a society now with film that, you know, if something happens, we need to see immediate reaction.
0: Right. Well, I mean, they kind of, like, they showed that, like, um, I think it's Bob. And then Obi has to go back out in the cold, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. He, he drew the short straw. But they go and, like, get rid of the body. So it's, like, not in there with them, yeah. which I think. And, like, I feel like these are all people who just saw the Civil War happen in their country. So they're not really going to, like, bat an eye at bloodshed, you know? Right. Um, Which I I think that'll be a springboard into, what do you think this movie is about like i know we know what the plot is but the larger themes i think there's a lot to unpack there um so what like what hit home with you i i i think we kind of had a similar experience where we saw the movie Mm -hmm. and we were like "Mm, i don't know about that i don't know about that movie yeah and then i found myself thinking about it like more and more even though like four or five days removed from it now
1: right uh there, there's some great shots in it. Like I don't, I can't tell what the purpose is, or even like what the main theme is. But just there's some great shots in the movie where um, you. It opens up with the with the movie with, with the face of Jesus on yes. a cross, and, and then it goes back to that scene once you realize that like okay what happened to um, was it Maggie or the the owner Minnie, of the shop Mini yeah. what happened to her and it kind of goes back to a shot of Jesus. And I was like, wow, it's kind of like, because it's a sacrifice, because there was a lot of bloodshed yeah. at this place. Um, I, don't, I don't know. What do you think that the...
0: Um, I think there's a couple really big things. I think there's a lot, actually. And I think I need to see the movie again. We both kind of said we wanted to see it again before yeah, we recorded yeah, yeah. the podcast. Um, but I, I think the, there's a theme about um, racism. Uh, for sure because at the end the only two men left alive are uh, the black guy and the most racist character, arguably the most racist character in the movie. Daisy Domergu is pretty racist but um, Walton Goggins' character, he's the son of uh, a group of rebels, or the son of a guy who ran a group of rebels. and uh, He's he, on his
1: way to to Red Rock to become the sheriff.
0: Yeah, and he's pretty racist too. Like He really doesn't like Samuel L. Jackson. And they end up bonding at the end of the movie and uh you know Daisy Domergue like tries to talk Walton Goggins character out of it and uh he just she's like I'll make you a deal we're all worth a you know a crap load of money you can take us in but you gotta kill uh Samuel L. Jackson and he's just like no like he's like no deal and they end up killing her and we were kind of joking that the uh the overall theme of the movie is uh white men and black men need to get together and uh take out the real threat which is women but um, oh, but it, it, I, I don't I think officially it's sign off on this podcast <laughs> I have no
1: affiliations with this
0: um, but I, I don't think it was about women necessarily I think it was about um, kind of what they say in in really to use the stark terms of the movie mean bastards gotta hang like she's really mean she's a really mean character and mm-hmm. so it's more about justice it has nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman um and so i think it's these two men bonding over that like over what true justice is and finding out what justice is and knowing that it's not a uh skin color issue it's a it's a it's a heart issue Mm -hmm. and i was reading a lot of like reviews and stuff that said this movie is really nihilistic and like kind of hates like humanity and is like really angry about racism and it kind of is but i think it's got a really hopeful ending which is weird because it ends with Two men hanging a woman and then dying, (laughs) Um, and then and then bleeding out. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I I think it's really hopeful in that they kind of overcame their barrier to their their racial barriers to sort of realize like, oh no, justice is like about your heart and your soul. And um, something that we don't talk or I don't talk about a lot on the podcast is like I am a Christian and you know I'm very active in my church. We go to the same church. (gasps) You're a
1: Christian? Okay, yeah. and Oh, um, oh that's where I met you. Yeah, oh, okay. I thought you looked familiar. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh,
0: and so I think seeing it as someone who ascribes to a faith makes you view the movie a lot differently. Right. And I think that shot of Jesus is, is really powerful thematically because at the end of the movie, the last chapter is called Black Man, White Hell. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of Samuel L. Jackson sacrificing himself as a black man for the sins of these white people. Um, you know, there's sort of a Jesus allegory there. And I think there's, there's very much a, uh, an argument to be made that Daisy Darmagoo is the Satan character. And I think you can make that argument because do you remember at the very, very beginning of the movie when Kurt Russell hits her with his gun and she's, he like, he says something to her and she starts bleeding out of her head. And like, it shows a shot of her and she looks really old and like, kind of like weird the music that plays under that is from the exorcist part two. Yikes. So I think, cause I was like, man, this sounds like exorcist music. And then we sat through, we ended up sitting through whole credits and one of the music credits said like Reagan's theme or, uh, Reagan's floating, uh, from the exorcist part two. And I was like, yeah. So I think she's the Satan character. And so it's, them hanging her is sort of uh
1: and then if if you will humanity coming together we haven't really talked about the movie like in the theme itself right now but um they go the all these men go to save her kind of like she is the the leader oh yeah she is like the 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 evil person yes yeah, she's character. the
0: leader of the dharmagu gang and she's kind of got her band of fallen angels who is uh her brother which is channing tatum yeah. and uh kind of the rest of the hateful eight with yeah. the exception of the general right um you know the tim Roth's british guy bob the mexican and uh joe gage they're they're kind of the fallen angels and they have like these big bounties on their head so i think there's like there's a big christ and allegory mm-hmm. uh to this i also think that um Aside from that, like, I'm not saying Quentin Tarantino is necessarily a Christian um, at yeah, all. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think he's kind of exploring that theme of Christianity and sacrifice and, um, like, what it means to lay down your life for another person. And I also think that the hate of these characters, like, none of these eight people are particularly likable. and they, Kurt Russell hates women. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee hates everyone. Uh, the General hates black people. A lot of people hate black people in this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Samuel L. Jackson kind of hates white people. And the only two redemptive characters are Chris Mannix, which is Walton Goggins' character, and Samuel L. Jackson. And everyone else gets consumed by their hate, and that's what leads to their death.
1: Yeah. You can also say that innocent people die in the process as well. Ob, we mentioned, mm-hmm. but like Minnie and uh, Sweet Bob. or was it was Sweet, Sweet, Dave. Bob? Sweet Dave. Sweet yeah. Dave. Sweet they, Dave. They suffer the wrath of... of you know, the hateful eight, the gopper, gopper, do the Dharmagu, Dharmagu game, yeah. They they suffer from that, uh, where they come in, uh, prior like a couple of hours before Samuel L. Jackson's character arrives and they they murder all those guys in, in the shop for no good reason. And that's why I was kind of like, man, I can't believe they would do this. Like, mm-hmm. they just murder people and then they just wait. They they uh, Chatham gets underneath the the cellar and just waits there, and um. What do you think about the general sitting there and, and actually going along with the plan?
0: I don't know how I felt about that. Like, uh, that's kind of a weird move on his part.
1: Yeah, and it explains, because throughout the whole movie, because, of course, um, Tarantino does his his magical switcheroo. Throughout yeah. the whole movie, you're like, what the heck happened? And all of a sudden, they start back in the middle, and they show what happened to, to Minnie and why she died and how she died. Um, but during the movie, the general's just sitting there straight forward, yeah. kind of not moving. He doesn't even get up to get some soup. During the whole thing. And you're like, why isn't he he moving? Why is everyone bringing him stuff? Yeah. And then you find out later that he was under direct orders. Like, you get up and move, you're dead. Like, we'll make sure that you die. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, that makes sense why he's kind of frozen in fear. Yeah. But... What do you think of that reveal of, like, Channing Tatum? Because his name is in the opening credits. I totally, uh, I was so mesmerized by the movie and, and like the other characters that I forgot that he was in it. Oh, okay. Until until like, um, even when when he shot Samuel L. Jackson, I was like, who was that? <laughs> who was that? And then once they showed him back up again, I was like, oh uh, yeah, I forgot that he was in this movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. what did you think of him in this
1: movie? Uh, almost worthless. It, it, he was so short. Yeah. Um, he did a good job, but it was... It was towards the last 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And then they reveal him. Um, uh, and again... And so once they show the Tarantino moment of, of a couple hours before the, the whole scene happened, and they show him killing everything, sitting it up, why he was doing it, because to rescue his sister. Um, and then they go back to where he shot um, Samuel L. Jackson in the balls, actually. Yeah. Uh, un- underneath the floorboards. Bo- and so Samuel L. Jackson's um, on a bed... And he says, come on, come on up, blah, blah, blah. And so Chan tam pops up his head, throws up his gun, throws up two guns.
0: Which is the funniest line of the movie. <laughs> I can't repeat it on the podcast, but Samuel Jackson telling him to throw his second gun up is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in a Tarantino
1: movie. Bet you have, bet he has another gun. <laughs> Told you. And uh, then he pops his head up, turns his head to, to Gamragu and says, hey, sis, miss me? Or something like that. Yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson blows his head off, literally and, off. Off, and it just uh, in my theater, everyone started laughing. Yeah, it was really violent, <laughs> and all of his blood and guts and brain matter gets all up on her her face oh, and gosh. her head, and she starts screaming. And she was like, "He was coming out," and he's like, "Well, he was taking too long." <laughs> and so that was pretty good. um Again, I, it was worthless character, but but it was it was very it was great to have um, that that second kind of mystery character that during the movie when this when the whole poisoning scene happens and Samuel L. Jackson has the three remaining guys that are suspect on the wall and kind of like okay put your hands on the wall and we're gonna figure out who you are yeah. having the extra guy come in you're like oh, I, I didn't expect that and so that was pretty good. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I liked that too. Um... I kind of wish his name wasn't in the opening credits. I knew he was going to be in the movie anyway. Yeah. Um, but I had kind of forgotten and then his name showed up in the opening credits and I was like, "Oh yeah, um, they, they,
1: that would have been that would have been nice." Yeah, to yeah. just
0: like what Although I don't know if I would have been like, "What the F is Channing Tatum doing in this movie?" But did you did you kind of forget about him though, a little bit? <laughs> um yeah, mostly. And to, Until, like, basically until they started trying to figure it out, I was like, well, Channing Tatum's got to show up at some point. We also had the intermission, and so we checked the cast list on IMDb, and we were like, there's seven characters. Because we were like, who played, or what's the name of the actor that played Bob? And we were looking him up, and then we were like, oh, there's a bunch more characters that we haven't seen. Like, we have, what? Like, so we kind of. You ruined it for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. And so we didn't forget about him, because we had just talked about, like, there's yeah. still a bunch
1: of people they need to introduce. Like, S- how's that going to happen? Speaking of Bob, I loved how um, they killed Bob uh, in the movie, where the, he kind of, like, confronts him, uh, Samuel L. Jackson kind of figures out, okay, Mindy's dead, how did Mindy die, Err, Minnie, Minnie, excuse yeah. me, Yeah. how did Mindy die, what's going on, and then he kind of, the, throughout the movie, he kind of, like, accused Bob, and he's like, Bob's like, you called me a liar, essay! <laughs> And he's like, no, I'm not calling alarm a liar. I'm just saying it's peculiar. And eventually gets up in his face, and that's a great shot. Oh, yeah. And he's just like, yeah, so I am calling a liar. And I think you killed him. Boom, boom. Shoots him a couple times in the chest, falls down, takes both of his pistols, and puts it to his head, and blows it clean off. Uh, again, Tarantino style, and a lot of squibs, a lot of blood. Oh, it my was gosh. very, like, it was very, um, how would you say? It, it's kind of funny. Kind of, yeah. kind of like, 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 almost like Evil Dead funny. Yeah. A yeah.
0: lot of the violence is really, really funny yeah. in this movie, um, which I think helps because it's really, really gory, um, <laughs> but it's really over the top Yes. Um, and in a different way than the Kill Bill movies are, yeah. which I thought was interesting because he's done over the top violence before in Kill Bill. I mean, he they all have over the top violence. All, yeah, yeah. But th- that one has like super cartoony, almost anime violence in it. This one has like super exaggerated violence, but n- not in uh the kill bill style um greg nicotero who does the walking dead did the special effects for this movie so it kind of a lot of it kind of looks like the walking dead yeah um but yeah there's the scene where they they drink the poison coffee um ob and kurt russell's character uh, are the two victims of the poison coffee and it's just them, like, dueling blood vomit, and it's the most projectile <laughs> disgusting thing I've ever seen, but it was so funny to me. Yeah. And that I felt like that didn't get as big of a reaction as it should
1: have in our yeah. theater. I was cracking My up. My theater but... was laughing, and so it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah. And like, you kind of didn't want to laugh because you know that they're dying. Yeah. But then you're like but it's pretty funny because
0: it's so much blood it's hilarious yeah and like he does it like right on daisy's face when he's above her and like it's it felt like a sam raimi like you said evil dead style thing which yeah. kind of makes sense because evil dead's about a bunch of people trapped in a cabin
1: <laughs> true very true and and then them trying to figure out the mystery and whatnot yeah that.
0: and surrounded by evil which they are surrounded by
1: evil in this their own evils <laughs> Very true, the real kind of evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you, were you, was there any mystery involved at all? Did you feel um, like you wanted to discover something?
0: Um, as far as the plot goes, I didn't know who poisoned the coffee. I knew that it was going to be about poison coffee. That was the other thing, is I knew that the poison, the coffee was going to get poisoned at some point. So as I was seeing people
1: drink the coffee, I was like, when the heck is it going to happen? Like, How did you know it was going to get poisoned?
0: Um, I had read... So, so this movie has, like, kind of an interesting story where he had written the script and was like, this is going to be my next movie, and the script uh, got leaked online. I
1: heard about that.
0: And he got really mad about it, which is weird because the Django script got leaked online and he was fine about it. Um... But the script for The Hateful Eight got leaked online, and he got really mad about it. So he staged a, um, instead of making it a movie, he said, I'm not making it a movie. Here's what I'm going to do to get back at that person. I'm going to get this cast together. I'm going to have them read it at a theater in L.A. As, as kind of like a stage play. And that's the only time anyone's going to see this ever performed. And uh, he sold it out and charged $200 a ticket as a fundraiser for... I think some museum in LA and it was super well received and he was like, okay, I'm going to make this my next movie now. <laughs> and so it still eventually became his next movie. But I knew from the the table read that they did, uh, that it was about poison coffee. Wow. But as far as I knew, it was just like someone poisoned the coffee and now we got to figure out who did it. So yeah. there was a lot left to, uh, the imagination for me, um, when it started um- unfolding. So really all I knew is it was about someone poisoning the coffee. Right. But because I knew that, when I saw people drinking coffee, I was like, when's it going to happen? Like, this is so intense right now, watching right. people drink coffee, because...
1: Now, that's kind of funny, because throughout the movie, they're drinking a lot of coffee. Yeah. And not until about an hour in- left of the movie do they kind of, like, reveal, like, oh, hey, it's going to get poisoned. Yeah. And so, I like, I didn't notice that, but I can totally see understand why you would be freaking out because they drink a lot of coffee.
0: So place. much coffee is drunk. And so I was like, when's it happening? <laughs>
1: yeah. And not until the, se- the secret yeah. happens. And yeah. so, so you didn't feel like there was a big mystery at all? You didn't?
0: No, not outside of who poisoned the coffee. And yeah. then when they introduced Channing Tatum's character, I was like, well, maybe he snuck up and like poisoned it. That's what I the... was thinking too. And yeah. I was like,
1: that's kind of lame, but yeah. whatever. Um, I, but I was kind of still worried once Ru- uh, Kurt Russell came in and said, all right, one of these guys is not telling the truth. Mm. And I was just like, oh crud! I didn't. Even, I thought they were all telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. So that's where I was like, okay, who's not really telling the truth? And I was just kind of like, I hope it's not the British guy because that's totally obvious. Uh, it better not be Joe because his story was so ridiculous. Yeah. I'm going home to see Mama for Christmas. Like, ah, oh, gosh. Um, and then I, the sheriff one was so obvious too. and I was like, it better not be like he's not really a sheriff. He's just still a gang member that's yeah. trying to rescue a fellow another gang member like um so i was i was worried about that but i was surprised that all three of um those guys were bad guys yeah uh samuel jackson did a good job again with dialogue um letting letting us know and kind of going in and out talking about like this is what i think happened and really kind of doing a clue um style of like let me reimagine this and show you how how i think happened
0: yeah um so do you think that the movie earned its length uh, movies are getting longer and i don't know if it's always necessary it's a big pet peeve of mine every movie i see i think could be about 20 minutes shorter.
1: Yeah.
0: um yeah so what uh, do you think that this movie was justified in being as long as it was my version was three hours and 12 minutes yours was two hours and 47 minutes yeah I guess, yeah. Like that.
1: Yeah. yeah um to be honest with you, I did look at my clock once. Okay. And so I did I did kind of put my watch up to the light and kind of like, oh, what time is it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and I did see an early showing. I actually went on, on an early Saturday morning to see it. And so like that was good. But like I still got done at two. Oh my two gosh. Two and a half. And so cool. it was just like, oh man, that, that killed some time. I would say that it was good. It was in depth. Um. Some of the dialogue was way, way too long, way uninteresting. Uh, I felt like there was points in the movie that, again, it was like the Adam West style or like a, even a sitcom style where like the, the characters were sitting in the place and they were waiting for another character to come in and, mm-hmm. and interact with them. Be, and it was just kind of like, but that's not how real life is. Like, it, it was kind of like, oh, okay. It, it could have been a little bit shorter. Um, was there any parts that, that he could have cut? I don't think so. That's yeah. the problem. So um, it just needed to be shorter. There was no parts that he could really cut besides making mystery a little bit shorter than, than what it was or rewriting the whole thing. Uh, How would you feel?
0: I actually completely agree with that. Um, I think with the big Pomp and Circumstance Roadshow version, I felt like the length was a little bit more justified because he's trying to give you a specific experience. And all the other roadshows have been super long, epic movies like that. The big difference is uh, this movie basically takes place completely inside. Uh, those other movies are like big sword and sandal, almost biblical epics. Right. That have these like big, sweeping panoramic shots. And he gets a, a, a good amount of those, yeah. given that it only takes place in this one area. But still, uh, not as many as you would think, given the way he decided to release it. That being said, it looks amazing. Um, it really immersed me in it and so i think that uh that version is a little bit more justifiable especially with like where he cuts for the intermission it's kind of cool because it kind of he cuts like right when the general dies and so it's the signal because you've got an hour and a half of just talking i mean there's a lot of talking in this movie and you have an hour and a half of just talking and you have it kind of come to a head with uh Samuel Jackson, albeit telling this very strange story, but telling the story, uh, which is, as weird as it is, is yeah. interesting. It's one of the most interesting things that's I happened was, in the first hour. I was hour
1: really down. hoping that we can tiptoe around this story. Yeah, but yeah it's...
0: So he tells... He t- I'm not going to get in the specifics of the story because <laughs> it's psycho, but uh, it's 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 it really picks it up. Like, if you weren't paying attention, you're going to start paying attention. Right. And uh, he shoots the general after he gets done telling him this story about what he did to his son, and, um, which is probably a lie. Um, is it, it is it MJ? Are I think sure? so. <laughs> I think so. Uh, and he shoots the general and then it goes right to intermission. And so going into the second half, we were, we kind of had two main thoughts. And that was, man, they they justify it, 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 it. This movie depends on how everything goes after the intermission. So what needed to happen after the intermission, and I think he did a good job of doing is it needed to really have a lot of action building up to the end um, because he spent so much time talking and doing setup in the first half mm. that I was like, this movie needs to pay it off really well or else it's not going to really work. And then we were like, he did do a really good job of setting up a bunch of like intriguing things for the second half. So I think it actually works best with the intermission. Right. Um, I'm not usually one who's like a stickler for like, this is the way it's like meant to be seen and you should only see it this way. And I'm probably going to go see the general release because I really liked this movie. Right. But I think the 70mm Roadshow version is like the definitive version of this movie. So I think the length is a little bit more justified.
1: And kind of You kind of get gypped a little bit because during the second half, I kind of want to know more about that story. Like if it's real. Like right. at the end, I was still waiting for... Um, someone to ask Samuel L. Jackson, like, hey, was this real? Like, Yeah, did, did this that really was weird happen? that no one said that. Yeah, and so that's what kind of threw me off. Again, like, once you start that chapter four version, and he's just sitting there by himself off in the corner. Yeah. And you're just like, how come no one's talking to him? He just killed somebody. Like, why is no one, like, kind of, like, asking, hey, did you really do that? Like, how did you know that the general was going to be here? Or, like, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I would have liked to see a bigger twist. Um with with that it would have been kind of cool to see if samuel L. jackson was in it like yeah. was a villain oh yeah like yeah. that would have been like oh whoa like i didn't see that maybe he was a part of this whole
0: i was kind of worried about that too yeah. yeah or even um walton goggins character chris mannix yeah i thought he may have been like at the last minute just like nope i've been with them the whole time and yeah. this is all a big setup but no
1: nope. Yeah. so you kind of mentioned i, I didn't really even think about it until now but we kind of did you kind of did get gypped with um the panoramic view and whatnot, and with the seven because there's not a lot of shots there's there's quite a few, yeah, but probably like a handful or a dozen uh, of shots that kind of justified the wide lens, yeah, but a lot of it's just in a house,
0: however, what I will
1: say is it makes it feel
0: like you're watching a stage play oh okay, cool, um because it's so wide, you see so many things happening in the background so many there's like everyone's in the background always kind of and so you kind of know where everyone is in the room and so the wide shots really lend you to like knowing the layout of the room like you know where everyone is the whole time you know the layout of the of the haberdashery and and so um you kind of so when they're like someone's poisoned the coffee you're like okay well samuel jackson was talking to the general daisy was sitting down Bob was playing Silent Night on the Piano. So you kind of, like, run through in your brain. Yeah. Like, okay, here's where everyone was as far as I know, but what the heck.
1: Which was great, because you're like, okay, so who really did it? Like, what's going on? Yeah,
0: so now I want to watch it and see if you can see the person who poisons the coffee kind of moving around, getting to the coffee, because he's on the other side of the room. He's clear on the other side of the room by the bar when that happens, because he's laying down. That's right. And, uh... So right after that is is when he poisons the coffee and so i was like what the heck like how do you get over there i didn't even see him move so now i want to watch it again and see if i can see him move
1: yeah um so but it it was just um, that was a lot of it was very mysterious and whatnot uh i did like how they killed her at the end so mm. they eventually um kill chan tam's character um the she does her speech trying to uh convince uh, chris to change pass and whatnot and get get on his side and you you think that he's gonna do it first for a couple seconds um then they end up killing uh, all the other characters and they they get to the point where they're like you know people gotta hang when once, once you get caught by the hangman you gotta yeah. hang how'd you feel about her being hung man that was intense yeah uh, it was, wasn't? Yeah, it? It was... I was. That
0: was the most uncomfortable portion of violence in the entire movie to me, and I think that was on purpose. I think he made everything else really like over the top, yeah. so that that felt really like real and like hits kind of hard.
1: So you know this, and I know this, but like usually when someone gets hot, like when they, when they hang people, and you see this in movies all the time, people stand on the, on a on a chair or on something of leverage. They hang themselves, make sure it's tight. And then they jump off or you get, they kick it out in front of them and then they snap their necks. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. This was strangling. Yes. They, they tied her, uh, a noose around her, her, head. Uh, they put threw it over a post and then they both men were sitting on the bed and they pulled it and tied it to the bed. And she's just dangling and she's suffocating and she is just struggling and she's not crying or anything weird. She's doing that Satan kind of look at, her, at yeah. them, and just started, you know, choking. And wow, yeah, yeah, it's, it's intense. <laughs> yeah, it's it's
0: it's the most intense part. Of, it's the most intense um, portion of violence in the whole movie. And her and I
1: eyes think. staring at you and kind of deep into your soul. And you're like, oh, okay, kind yeah,
0: of, and that's why I going. think it's like the. I think that's why she's like the Satan character of the of the whole piece, um, yeah. and and why I think there's like some some biblical stuff kind of behind the scenes uh, that, that Tarantino is exploring.
1: Um, you can see a great struggle with the Chris and a character yeah. being torn towards, uh, you know, going with someone that he, she's a gang member as well, just like him. She, she can offer him money, the, you know, the lust of the heart. It's like, why are you hanging out with someone that's a different color than you come well, hang out with us? And then he's pulling him towards her, towards him going like, dude, what did I, I've never done anything to, to you. I saved you. Like, I pretty much, yeah. I gave you a gun. I made sure that you were you were safe. Like, what's going on? And and so, you know, someone sacrificing themselves for the, the love of others, for, for the hate, almost, of others. I'm yeah. sacrificing even though you hate. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I really like that. Like, I think this is the most redemptive and hopeful movie Quentin Tarantino's ever made. And it's weird because it's called The Hateful Eight, and there's a lot of hate. In this movie, there's a lot of racism, there's a lot of misogyny, there's a lot of uh, m- distrust and deception in it, but I think all that leads to the ultimate redemption at the end, and I think it really makes that theme um, pop really well. So I, I I really like this movie. You like a lot. the movie? Yeah.
1: I'm still kind of fickle about it. Uh, it's it, there's so many things that that were good. There's a few things that it just what's I guess what's keeping me from it is that I don't really see a big theme. Okay. Uh, I don't see anything. I th- almost feel like this was almost a pointless movie, kind of like it was just, "Hey, this is what this is a story. Mm-hmm. This is what happened. Doesn't have a theme. Doesn't have any purpose. We're just telling a story that happened." And it's like, okay, and it, it was good. There were some great moments. There was a lot of crappy dialogue. I would say that that was. Not, I would. I get, let me take it back. It wasn't crappy. It was just too long mm-hmm. and uh, not interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, it, yeah, I could have lived without it. But overall, it, it it was good. It's well worth the uh, the watch. Yeah. Maybe see it one more time. Uh, not top five favorite films of, of him, but still, it's it's a good movie.
0: Yeah, I this goes. To, I still don't think he's made a bad movie. Yeah. Is the thing. Oh but yeah, yeah.
1: I, I agreed. It's not bad. So. Yeah.
0: And I think there's something to be said that like this came solely out of him. You know, this isn't. I mean, he's. Uh, the best thing he does is he does the influences that he has and he has a lot of influences but what what he does is uh you know this isn't an adaptation this isn't a reboot it's not a sequel it's it's a completely original story and so i always have a hard time uh really if if that's the case being like oh it was outright bad because it's like at least he tried something man at least he tried something that no one else is doing yeah yeah. um so that's that's kind of uh, where I I stood with that, but I, I the further away from it I am, the more I like it, and I I, I want to see it one more time, yeah. and really like crystallize
1: my thoughts on it. Um, uh, we forgot to mention this, but uh, the score in the movie mm. amazing, and really Oh, jeez, I can't believe it. Um, and, and then that just helped with the tone. Um, personally, knowing that they filmed it in the freezer, yeah, and knowing that that it was cold, you actually thought you were in the snow. You actually kind of wanted to drink some coffee. kind of felt cold. The music helped too. There's a couple times where they're in the, the outside and the, there's like giant, like, you know, like, um, almost like violence shrieking. And all of a sudden they go back inside and there's silence. Yeah. And you're just kind of, like, Whoa, my ears just kind of rang and popped. When they were
0: like putting the, the spikes in the yes. snow. Yeah.
1: And then they that go back great. inside to, to the, the British gentleman uh, talking and whatnot. And you're like, Whoa, that, that was really like nine day. Yeah. Um, we, we forgot to mention this, but what, how did you like the, the running gag of, I gotta put two pans on the door. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious yes. every time. Yes, again, funny moments in this
0: movie. Yeah, I really, really like that. Just like, because it was so, they were so aggressive about it every time. It was so funny. Uh, that, and just, um, uh, Chris Mannix just being like, that door's a whore. Every time, <laughs> every time, it just made me laugh yeah. so hard. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good yeah um kind of uh last thing and this is just a bit of trivia you know the scene where she's playing guitar oh uh really cool scene but um that guitar is from that period and uh, it was on loan i think from the martin or the gibson museum oh and uh kurt russell didn't know and there are only three of those in existence
1: No, there's only <laughs> two now there's only two
0: <laughs> he uh he went and grabs it he goes and grabs it from her he smashes it against the wall and uh it's it's uh yeah it's a priceless guitar And, and uh he didn't know it and he smashed it so when you see her reaction that's her actually reacting to him doing that because he came up with that on the spot and so when she goes whoa 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 and she's like looking around like what the heck just happened it's because she knew that it was from there. And so she was like, what? <laughs> Uh, can someone help?
1: Uh, wow, that's so funny because think about last movie that he made, Jango Unchained. When he cuts his hand. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, uh, DiCaprio. Le- DiCaprio cuts his hand and rubs it all over her face. Yeah. And she freaks out because she's like, What the heck is this?
0: Yeah, because that like happened. That's his real blood on her face, which is the grossest thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And I'm, I'm surprised that she was okay with it. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
0: yeah and, and tarantino i think he uh he has kind of moments like that um i was just talking to my wife about this uh you know in glorious bastards when um the undercover german woman uh gets choked to death by christoph waltz
1: uh-huh.
0: tarantino went up to her before they started filming and she he was like uh so choking scenes in movies never really look that good so do you mind if uh christoph waltz just chokes you until you pass out and uh the actress was like And Christoph Waltz was like, "Uh, "I'm not choking this woman until she passes out." And Tarantino was like, "I'll do it. Put on a uniform, and choked her till she passed out." And that's the scene in the movie.
1: Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And so, like, I understand about being you know the realism but, but that's just yeah rocks. yeah that's weird yeah
0: that's weird but yeah so so kurt russell smashing the guitar and Don't jennifer jason lee after uh, yeah, come on jennifer jason lee freaking out at that is is completely real and uh the museum was really cool about it they contacted the museum and the museum was like uh do you need another one also, can we have that one back? Because we're going to put the pieces on display with, like, a little plaque that says what the story is. Uh-oh. So, that one's going back on display in its broken state because they thought it was such a cool story. Yeah. Um, which is great. Like, that's the best possible outcome.
1: Yeah. They'll probably sell more tickets like that and people yeah. will come go. So, yeah. wow. Um, Talk about ad-lib. Jeez. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, also, uh, my favorite performance in the movie was Kurt Russell's mustache. <laughs>
1: I dude and when you see real interviews with him, it's like, wait, you can take that off? Oh my god, that's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said he hated it. He
0: said that he hated it. Was, yeah, like, but he, he kept
1: he, it on forever. Yeah. Yeah, so
0: Well and he but he did a, a movie after that uh. that was almost exactly the same it was called bone tomahawk and he basically had the same mustache in that too oh man yeah so That's brutal yeah he had to keep it on for like two movies in a row and he said that because he's like married to goldie hawn yeah and uh he said that his wife was like super over it by the end she was like i hate that
1: <laughs> um yeah do you have anything else no It overall again good movie uh still I wish I would have. I wish there was more to it. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a bigger mystery. Wish mm-hmm. there was more of a clue factor mm-hmm. into it. Um, but still, overall, wasn't bad movie. Again, yeah. I need, to, need to rewatch it. But.
0: Yeah, I need to see it again too. It's really good. Um, yeah, thanks for being on, man. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, we'll be back next week. Although uh, we're not taking time off from the podcast, uh, the podcast is changing a little bit until March. Uh, there's not a lot of stuff that i really want to see in theaters. January
1: out. is the the dumpster. Yeah,
0: of... January and February um February has like a Cohen Brothers movie and like Deadpool are coming out, but nothing's really getting the train rolling again until Batman versus Superman. So we'll be back with the uh before and after show proper format that that you know and love uh with Batman versus Superman. And between now and then we're still going to release one episode a week. You'll still get content from us on every Thursday. It's just going to be a little bit different. Um, Corey and I have some ideas that we've been kicking around. Uh, and so this is this is going to be our period to experiment um, with some different formats that, that we've kind of... We don't know if we want to turn them into actual shows or not, or if we just kind of want to try them every once in a while. I, I'm excited about it. I think it'll keep it fresh for you guys. It'll keep it fresh for us. Um, we're going to get back into some older movies, which I've been missing as we've been talking about uh, movies currently in theaters. And... Uh, we might be revisiting some bad movies, which I know is pretty popular. Um, so keep uh, keep an eye out. We'll, uh, we'll see. It's nothing set in stone, so we'll see next week what we come at you guys with. Uh, and until next week, go watch The Hateful Eight.
1: Stay tuned. The little